Lamentations tells us that God's mercies are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. Let's step into those new mercies today with a humble and honest heart, preparing to grow in our relationship with God and to have a real, authentic faith. Hey, welcome to Let's Be Real. In the last episode, I took the opportunity to introduce myself and tell you a little bit about me and my story, and I happened to mention in that episode that I had had the opportunity to speak at my church and talk about a story about Gideon. And I kind of teased it out there, so I figured, hmm, maybe I should quick talk about Gideon a little bit. I just relate a lot to Gideon. Gideon is a character that we see in the book of Judges, chapter 6 and 7, and he is a man that is a little insecure in himself, not very confident, afraid to do the things that God is calling for him to do. And I find myself right in the midst of a season of feeling like Gideon. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of jump into Gideon a little bit and talk about him. If you're not familiar with his story, he was found in the book of Judges at the time of Israelites are kind of in this whole cycle, the sin cycle where they are worshiping God and they're trusting in him and then they get complacent and then they disobey and they start living like the world around them lives and they disobey God and they start worshiping other idols and then they're punished and they're oppressed and we see them do this cycle over and over and over after oppression they repent they come back to God and they do it again and again and again feels like the whole Old Testament kind of just shows This cycle of the Israelites going from obedience to disobedience, obedience to disobedience. Can anyone relate to that cycle in their own life? I can. Like, really? Oh, why am I back here again? Why am I struggling with the same thing? So we see the Israelites in a time of oppression. They are being seriously oppressed by the Midianites and some other tribes to the east of them. However, they are in the promised land that had been promised to them. So to rewind a little bit, Moses comes and he talks to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And he gets the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, another wandering in in the wilderness for 40 years. And because of disobedience and the making of another God, the beginning of another disobedience cycle, Moses is told he will not be able to enter into the promised land. So he dies and he's not in the promised land. New leaders rise up. We see Joshua, who actually gets to usher the Israelites into the promised land. So I'd like us to back up just a tad to see kind of the setting that we're walking in to Judges 6 with is following the death of Joshua. We see that in the book of Judges, chapter 2, around verse 10. It talks about how Joshua has... Um, He died at the age of 110. They bury him within the boundaries of, um, of his inheritance. And then we see in verse 10 that, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So all of those people, the same age as Joshua, that went through all of the things that Joshua did, that went into the promised land, that have lived there since, they've all gone, they were gathered to their fathers. So that means they too have also passed away. Continuing in verse 10, and there arose another generation after them, so think children and grandchildren, who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. So to set the scene, 
we have our faithful grandparents have passed away. Their children and grandchildren have not talked about the Lord. They have not passed down the stories of the works that the Lord had done for them. They didn't tell their kids about the crossing of the sea, about the wandering in the wilderness, about being able to come into the promised land. Their kids and grandkids didn't know it. They hadn't shared their life, their story, their experience, their past in their relationship with God. So think about what that means. Let's look at it from our perspective. Are you a parent or a grandparent that are telling your kids about the Lord? Are you telling them about the work that the Lord has done for you? Is that something that's easy for you to do? Is that something that you carry on your lips and it's ready in your heart to jump out and all opportunities to be able to say, can I tell you what God has done in my life? Or is it kind of scary and you just kind of don't do it and you leave it alone? And now we see generations at this point in Israelite's history that don't know the Lord and don't know what he's done. It's one thing, I think, for me to understand if you tell the stories of what he has done, because that's just your story of your life. Like, I can talk about myself pretty easy. I can talk about my stories and the things that have happened. But because they didn't know what God had done, they didn't know the Lord, like, at all, which is kind of scary when you think about it. Something as simple as telling your children, your grandchildren, your friends' kids, your friends' about the works of the Lord and what he's done in your life, that has a huge impact on people's faith. To be honest, I know it's a huge part of my developing faith. I grew up in a family where my parents shared the working of the Lord. They clung to his promises and I saw them play out. I saw what they told me come true throughout my childhood. And it made me go, I want this. This is real. What they said is true. The stories of how God was faithful in their lives, growing up in the midst of it. My dad had lost his job, and as a child, I was afraid, like, what does this mean? Do we stay in our house? Do we get food? Like, what does this look like? It's kind of scary. But I saw the children of God bring food and bring meals, show up at the door with envelopes of money to help us get through Christmas. I saw the work of the Lord through his people, and it shaped my faith challenge to you. Are you sharing the works of the Lord in your life with your children, with your grandchildren? Because their faith may depend on it. It is something so important and something that we can very easily do. And it shouldn't be something scary to share what the Lord has done in our life. So fast forward into the story of Gideon. We're looking in Judges 6. We see Midian oppresses Israel. It says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the generations of not being told about God and what the works of the Lord were bring us to a place where the people of Israel are doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Can anyone tell me, does that at all sound like the world we might be living in today? People doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord? Absolutely. We know that one, easy and for sure. To continue on, it says, And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian and the people of Israel, they made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and in the caves. 
and the strongholds. So what's happening here is the Midianites and the Amalekites and tribes from the east are coming into the promised land where the Israelites are, and they're taking them for everything they've got. All of their plants, all of their animals, all of their everything. They have nothing, and they're starving. They're forced into the caves in, in the hillside. They should be able to be on land and farming and growing their food, but instead they're hiding. So we see Gideon in this story actually in a cave, which is dedicated to a wine press, and he's trying to thresh his wheat. I don't know if you've ever threshed wheat. Wheat has a chaff, the part you want blown away, and it has a wheat berry that would fall. You kind of beat it and you shake it, and you need to do it outside in the wind, not in a cave, in a wine press. He's afraid of drawing attention of the Midianites. He's afraid his food's going to be stolen, like, hey, we need this to live. I'm going to go hide and do the work I need to do in this cave, in secret, in hiding. What's interesting, if we take a quick flashback about the Midianites oppressing Israel, is Moses had been commanded to go in and to wipe out the Midianites. And I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, partial obedience is indeed disobedience. That one has really affected me over the years and has opened my eyes to a lot of a lot of things that maybe I've done partially. I think a great example is when we look at our kids and we ask them to, hey, can you please get up, go put your shoes away, and then throw away that old sandwich? And 15 minutes later, we come in and we see the shoes put away, and then we step in the old nasty sandwich. <laughs> and we're like, um, hello, uh, didn't I ask you to put your shoes away and toss the sandwich? And they look at us with these big eyes like, shoot, I'm busted. And they say, well, I put my shoes away. Like, yeah, you did. But I stepped in the sandwich. Like, you only did part of what I told you and look at the consequences now. So we see Moses commanded to take his armies in and to wipe out all of the Midianites. No exception. Men, women, children, plunder, everything. So Moses and his men, they go in and they kill the men and they kill the kings and they plunder but they decide to leave the women and the children. They only did part of the job. They partially obeyed. And because of that, we see the Midianites have come back into full power. Over the generations, they have reestablished a people for themselves. The Midianites are still around when they weren't supposed to be. So here we see the partial obedience of Moses and his men having grave effect later on when we see Gideon. Now, the Israelites are completely oppressed. They're having a hard time staying alive and farming and getting the food that they need. And it gets to a point that it is so bad that the Midianites are like locusts in number. They have gotten so big that they lay waste to the land when they come in. We see the people of Israel cry out to the Lord. They're finally like, enough is enough. God help us. Why haven't you fixed this? Why haven't you stopped them? Lord, what can we do? God help us. So the Lord sends a prophet. We don't know his name at this point. To the people of Israel. And he says to them, hey, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
but you have not obeyed my voice. So we see an unnamed prophet come onto the scene to remind them like, hey, this is what the Lord has done. The very thing that they were not told by their family. Like, hey, reminder, I did this for you and this for you and this for you and this for you, and you're not obeying me. So this is why you're here. I might be guilty of that, of not obeying, of not obeying, of knowing what I should do and what I should do and what I should do and not doing it and not doing it and then wondering why things aren't going so good later down the road. Like, oh, yep, been there. I can relate. So now we see the call of Gideon. As he's beating his wheat hidden in a wine press, we see the angel of the Lord come and sit under an oak tree And he comes and he appears to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon says to him, "Um, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. We see an angel of the Lord come into the presence of Gideon and proclaim truth over him. The Lord is with you, and you are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon kind of blows it off. He's like, um, yeah, right. The Lord is with us. Are you kidding? Have you seen what's happening here? And what's interesting is Gideon actually does know what the fathers had recounted to them. He says, oh, where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers told us about? Did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? So Gideon had heard the stories, but feels as though he has been forsaken. God isn't with us. He's not with me. Hello, I'm hiding in the wine press. And now we see, after that, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The Lord has just shown up. We're not talking about an angel of the Lord anymore. The Lord has just shown up and proclaimed a purpose and a commission over Gideon, saying, you, in the might of yours, you mighty man of valor, you will save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. He's like, and I am sending you. God, me, I am sending you. And what does Gideon do? Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. He's like, really? I'm like the lowest of the low, the least of the least. How in the world can I do it? Completely insecure in himself. This is where I completely relate with Gideon. Like, really? You want me to do what? There's no way I can do that. Do you know who I am? Have you met me? I'm like this big. I am the least. Not only am I the least of my family, but we're the least family. Has there been a time in your life where you have felt God's calling upon you or a commission or a purpose? And you're like, "Ugh, really? Me? Are you sure? I mean, we saw Moses do the same thing. When he was told to get the Israelites out of Egypt, he's like, "Mm, no, I stutter. Can't do it. You got the wrong guy. Same thing here with Gideon. He's like, I'm the least of the least. I can't do what you're telling me to do. And I think it is something that many of us are very guilty of. Telling God, "Uh, can't do what you're telling me to do. And that is the lie of the devil. 
God has given us what we need to do what he has called us to do, and that is himself. And we see this play out in the story of Gideon. We see Gideon told to tear down the Asherah pole, which is part and an altar to Baal, which is um, his family's altar to Baal, another god. Gideon's a little afraid to do it, so he does it at night in the dark so nobody sees him. And he makes God promise, like, okay, are you sure? Are you sure I can do this? And God says, yeah, peace. You will live. He's like, okay, well, if I'm going to live, I'll do it. He does it in the secret of the night. People wake up the next morning and are like, where's our temple? Where's the pole? Hey, Gideon's dad, your son did it. We figured it out. You need to kill him. And his dad, not wanting to kill his son, goes, let's let Baal deal with this. We do not need to defend our God, Baal. Well, Baal does not kill Gideon, and Gideon lives. And at this point, he is given a new name. He has seen success. He has obeyed God. He has done what he's been called and told to do, and he has lived, and he's given a new name, Jerubal, which means Baal fighter. He has now increased in his faith. Every time we obey and succeed, our faith and our determination grow. With every success, success upon success, our faith and determination grow like, oh, okay, I did that. What's next? So now we see Gideon like, all right, well, what do I need to do? He knows he's going to battle. He has to save the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. So he sends out a messenger like, go get the armies of all the tribes around. All these people come. And Gideon's got himself a big army. He's like, all right, we're going to do this. We are going to take on the Midianites. And God goes, um, you have too many people. Gideon's like, okay, what? He eventually takes this large army from like the 30,000s down to 300 people. And he says to Gideon, I want people to know that this wasn't you, but it was me. Because they're going to know that an army of 300 people could not have done this unless the hand of God was with them, unless the strength of God is what gave the victory. There are so many times in our lives that we're forced with a battle. We have something coming up and we're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And we jump right into the ways that we think it should be done or how we know it should be done, or maybe even ways that we've done it in the past. Like I know how to do this. And God goes, that's not how we're doing it this time. That's too many people. We're doing it a different way. You're going to do it in my strength, in the strength of the Holy Spirit that I give you. Together, we do this. You are my vessel. I want the world to know that it is me. It cannot look like you. And anytime that we have a reasonable success that we do, even if it's with God's power, a lot of times we kind of take the credit for it. Like, yeah, I did do that. He wanted to make sure that there's no way that Gideon can take credit for this. Because it is obvious, it is obvious that it is the work of the Lord. So as we face struggles in life, as we have a commission and a calling that is placed on us by God, as he speaks truth over to us, help us, Lord, not to ignore it when you tell us we're mighty women and mighty men of valor. That in your strength you're sending us Help us not to have excuses and like, "Mm, do you know who I am? No, I can't do that. That's too scary. And when we step out in faith to obey, Lord, help us to do the work in your power, 
and in your way, not to control the situation and do it in the ways that we know how. Because we want you to get the credit. We have all been commissioned, you guys. We have all been commissioned with a purpose. As a spouse, as a parent, maybe in your job, in your career, if you have a ministry, the way you serve, we have been commissioned with a purpose that we need to go about doing with God's strength and not in our own, in the way that he calls us to, not in the way that we think it should be done, for the glory of God and not of ourselves. We see Gideon, after being named Jerubel, after living through the whole Baal altar victory, we see him renamed walking out of chapter 6 into chapter 7, a whole new person, because it says the spirit of the Lord clothed him. He is walking into the fight against the Midianites, clothed in the Holy Spirit and is in his power to do the work that he was called to do. My prayer is that we pay attention to our commission, to our goals, to our purpose, and that we walk into it a new person, clothed in the Holy Spirit. And because of being clothed in the Holy Spirit, that we know that we have enough to do what it is that we're being called to do. No excuses. We can't say, oh, not me. You got the wrong guy. Or, oh, I know how to do this. We need to let God do it. We need to move forward in faith, knowing that because of him, because of being clothed in the Spirit, we can do it. We are enough because God has given us enough. Because God is enough. In our weakness, his strength is made strong. In the weakness of Gideon's army, in the small size of 300, that's how they knew. That's how they would know that it was not the work of Gideon and his people. It was the work of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You guys, it is in our weakness that we stepped forward in faith so that the power of God may rest on us to do what he has called us and told us to do. It's on our weakness that God brings victory into our lives. So maybe we can be a little bit more okay with our weakness. Maybe it doesn't need to stress us out so much. But maybe we make the journey a little bit more exciting. And then we can look back and see all of the things that God has done through us and in us and through others. And we can be able to share those stories with those around us, with our kids, with the next generation, so that they know the Lord and the work that he has done. God, we just love you so much. And we love being able to dive into and learn from your word. We thank you so much for the story of Gideon and all that we can learn from him. And God, just what we learn about you. God, help us to acknowledge our calling and our commissions from you. Let nothing hold us back, but help us to move forward in victory because of your power, because we know with you that we have and are enough. I hope you have been able to take away some insight and encouragement from the story of Gideon. I think about the women in my life who have fabulous stories about the work that God has done in them, in their life, in their struggles, in their walk 
I am so excited to be able to bring you some of those discussions with some of these people, just with a great deep faith and a strong sense of conviction. And I hope that they will be a blessing to you as much as they are as a blessing to me. So stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of fun with some really great guest speakers.